1: Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news! Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazoncom slash fitness to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of Acast shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft.
2: This is the Secret Library podcast, and I am somewhat shocked to share that this is now season seven. While I was pondering the theme for this season, it felt difficult to narrow in on one thing that would be most useful to us in this moment which has been so full of confusion, upheaval, turmoil, and stress. But then it came to me that writing is like this too. And after we get started, after we've been working on a project for a while, there is a point where we're uncertain and where we don't know what to do next. It's a point many of us call the murky middle. And it suddenly felt like, Exactly the right thing to talk about with an illustrious lineup of authors this season, both new debut writers as well as household names. In fact,
1: my guest this week is Courtney Zofness, who is the author of Spilt Milk, which has just come out in paperback with McSweeney's. It was named a best debut of 2021 by Bookpage and Refinery 29 and a must-read by Good Morning America. Courtney is also a fiction writer, and she won the 2018 Sunday Times Short Story Award, the most valuable international prize for short fiction. She joined a list of winners, including Anthony Doerr and Junot Diaz. She's also an Emerging Writers Fellowship recipient from the Center for Fiction, and has received two residency fellowships from McDowell. Her writing has appeared in the New York Times, Paris Review, Southern Review, Guernica, No Tokens, and other venues. And her essays have appeared as notable in the Best American Essays in 2018 and 2019. It was such a treat to speak with Courtney about Spilt Milk, which I absolutely tore through at a record pace. I feel very lucky this season that I have just clicked with so many of the books that the guests have written. And this was no exception. Courtney and I are about the same age. And so it was a joy to hear about her experience and how honestly she portrayed it in this, in this book. And so talking about the messy middle of writing from personal experience, sharing that, and all that came out in Spilt Milk was A real honor. She's very open and honest in this episode. And I know, particularly those of you writing creative nonfiction, writing memoir, writing essay, will get a lot out of this. But even so, when we're really raw about our character experiences, that messy middle can come up too. So it's a real pleasure to share this conversation with Courtney with you. And I hope you enjoy listening as much as we enjoyed creating it. Here we are with Courtney Zochness. Hey,
2: Courtney, thank you so much for coming on.
0: Thank you, Caroline, for having me.
2: One of the things I wanted to reference from the beginning, because I love talking about this with people who write memoir and write from personal experience and write essays based on their life. And it's this little piece of text that appears at the beginning that to me sums up the murky middle that is writing from personal experience where it says, this is a work of nonfiction. Events and experiences detailed herein have been faithfully rendered according to the author's memory to the best of her ability. Some names, physical descriptions, and other identifying characteristics have been changed to protect the privacy and anonymity of individuals involved. So we see this a lot at the beginning of writing like yours. And I'm just wondering how it felt for you to inhabit this space of knowing that there are as many truths
0: as there are people involved. So is the question about what, what it felt like to include that language knowing that I was sort of masking some things or is it more about actually writing my real life? Yeah, writing your real life and knowing that
2: you can be as faithful as possible to your own experience, knowing that some people might say, I,
0: might, I remembered that differently. Right. Uh, you know, I, I cling firmly to that disclaimer. You know, as we all know, memory is so unreliable uh, and all experiences are so subjective. Uh, and, you know, I think it's very valuable to insist on the sort of the truth of your own experience and also to disclaim that it may not hold up for others. Uh, And I do write some some pretty personal pieces in here. And, um, you know, and it has proven true that, you know, my my memories or experiences don't jive exactly with how others may remember them. Um, But that doesn't render my nonfiction any less accurate or valid um, to me. No, I, nor do I think to others. I mean, this is the interesting thing too, is that,
2: you know, I'm, I'm reading this book, not having met you before, and yet finding all of these tiny details where I'm thinking, oh yes, that's true for me too. That's true for me too. My cuticles are a mess. Like there's just all these
0: little details in there <laughs> yes. where I was like, yes. I feel like that's his own anthology. I know, we people. could all...
2: with terrible cuticles. We could do a whole collection. But just this, knowing that this is a very vulnerable collection of work where you did not hold back. I did not feel there was, you were not, um, you weren't making it easy for yourself in a way. You were very brave and honest, I felt, in what I was reading. And so also to be brave and honest about the fact that anxiety is something you've experienced a lot of, also something I related to strongly. How did you hold those two things together? This goal to be very honest about your experience, but also the sense that that might exacerbate, you
0: know, anxiety that is present in life. I mean, I can only speak for my experience writing these, of course, and I'm not a shy withholding person in my waking life, in my social life. Uh, and Nothing that I included here, which is not to say there's not a ton of stuff on the cutting room floor, but nothing that I included in this book is anything I would feel uncomfortable sharing with you over a meal. Uh, So I think I've heard that word brave and I, you know, I appreciate it. I, it doesn't feel scary to me to write any of this stuff in part because that's just not how I move through the world. I know for many other people, including dear friends and loved ones, that is not the case for them. Um, so I think I, you know, inhabited this genre more organically just because I f- feel and felt comfortable talking, you know, granularly about anxiety and difficult relationships, et cetera.
2: Yeah. I think that's, yeah, that's, that's a good point because it is, it does feel like a conversation. It feels like an open conversation. And some of these came out in other publications on their own beforehand. So I'm wondering about the experience of having written like hot for teacher, for example, and then having this become part of a collection. How did that process unfold over time?
0: Uh, I mean, I've used the word organic already, but it was also pretty organic in that I um, am trained as a fiction writer, uh, you know, have been teaching fiction for years, became a mom and um, started writing these personal essays. I thought of them as one offs. Um, I was sort of writing them on the side. I'll tell you the hot for teacher story in a second, but essentially how, you um, these essays ultimately became a book, um, a memoir in essays, is that I um, reread a few of them and realized I had very clear themes in common and and that they shared themes in common with others I was writing. And um, so it was just sort of this, you know, fortuitous situation where I suddenly had enough pages um, and then figured out how to organize them. Um, But Hot for Teacher is an essay about Uh, a college student I had who made sexual advances at me in front of the whole class uh, and whose motives I'm still trying to, you know, discern all these years later. Um, But the experience was, you know, as I meditated on it and as I meditated on my own reaction to it, the way I had to kind of assimilate it and kind of and how I attempted to dismiss it and how that was so much a part of the fabric of my experience as a woman in the world already. Um, I had written about that and it was just hanging out on my computer like so much else. And then had a friend, Shelly Oria, who put together a wonderful Me Too anthology called Indelible in the Hippocampus, which is a phrase Christine Blasey Ford used in her testimony against Brett Kavanaugh, indelible in the hippocampus was his laughter. Uh, And she solicited, was soliciting pieces from authors and lo and behold, (laughs) I had this essay that, you know, pre me too, hadn't known what to do with exactly. And suddenly there was, you know, a hunger for these kinds of stories.
2: I love, I love this because following an impulse to write something, we don't always know why we're doing it. Oh yeah. Never actually. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Never. Like, I I was talking to um, Danielle Lazarin recently, who wrote um, Back Talk, and she said, I wrote that whole story collection procrastinating working on my novel. Yeah, and that we have. And I'm wondering about that as a fiction writer. Did it feel, I'm always envious of people who write essays and novels or short stories and novels because there is a way to have a break. From longer pieces of fiction. So have you been working on fiction alongside these and how did that work out?
0: A little bit and now I'm back to it but I I do I will say the idea of working on multiple things is something I always recommend to aspiring writers to my students because I think uh, it prevents you from ever feeling stuck. There are ways in which I think you know, we're, we're always culling and refining our voices as writers. And there's a way in which all of our work in sub some subterranean space in our brain has the ability to feed one another, right? Like whether it's fiction or nonfiction and, and I've written pieces which that inhabit that murky middle in between <laughs> and have even known what genre they, I would call it because it's so it's based on my experience, but it's first person plural point of view, you know, um, so I think there's a lot of um, advantages to working on multiple things so that you, you are constantly sort of inching forward um, on, on a bunch of pieces uh, and learning about yourself in different ways and, and sort of this cross-pollination, I think, is inevitable
2: yeah and i think just exploring something and not knowing what home it's ultimately going to have because you may not know that at the point when you start it like you wrote this essay because it was i would imagine having had a weirdly i it, in my case it was a classmate um who wrote something really inappropriate in a story and then shared it in a creative writing class I which was a-
0: Experience too. Oh my gosh.
2: Okay. Clearly directed at me. And then he murdered me and just like dismembered me.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah.
2: And then was like calling me all the day. It was bad. So um yeah, but all of your stuff about like, okay, there was a phone call and people calling on the phone, but I can't prove it. And this this sense of boundaries, I think. That was a college stalker. <sighs> what is this? Yeah, it's misogynistic America. I think you're right. I think you're right. There, there are many layers, but I think this is another thing is like, how are we allowed to set boundaries as women and as writers? Because on the one hand, there's this incredible sharing of experience and what we feel and stories, but there's also like, I have a right for you not to call me on the phone mm-hmm. or yeah. make aggressive advances. And so there is that thing of balancing, sharing personal things, but also being able to decide when not to. And I'm wondering how you've juggled that over
0: time. Gosh, I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I was thinking, as you said, you know, I have a right for you not (laughs) to say, don't call me. There's is something really gratifying about it just being my voice taking over the whole page. And it's and nobody can interrupt me. and that student or any of the other creepoids who you know, assaulted or attempted to assault. Uh, I just think there's something, you know, boundaryless about that process. Um, but I think your question was also about how how to determine what to include and exclude, yeah. Uh, and you don't just mean in the space of misogyny, you mean in general, as a memoirist? I think so, yeah. Uh, it was a question I thought really hard about. Uh, and uh, for as as you know much as this book seems like an expose, maybe, it is only exposing a small sliver of what I um think is important and what has been difficult and meaningful to me as a human being. Uh, And they're probably the larger, more (laughs) um, troublesome and traumatic things are not in this book. So I made a lot of careful and curated choices when it came to what I included and how I included it. Um, And also part of that, Wrestling and part of our, that determination was ensuring that there wasn't, maybe except for that creepoid student, uh, I, I was very careful to um, try to show all the characters in here, myself included, in both the light and the darkness. Uh, that there's no, you know, single one dimensional villain here. Um, and that all of us are complicated creatures. And when complicated creatures enter into relationships, things are complicated. Um, so I think that was very much how I thought about what to include, what to exclude, how to include what I did include. Um, and I wanted to be able to stand by this and have no regrets about those choices. And I, and I don't have any. That's, that's a good feeling. It and- is. So
2: I'm interested in the writing things because I think a lot of a lot of listeners and students that I've spoken to, there is this fear of wasting time when writing something, not knowing if it's going to end up on the cutting room floor or not. And so mm-hmm. I'm wondering about how you feel about the things that didn't make it in and what the value was to you of writing them, even though they didn't end up in this book.
0: You know, I... Bristle at the and I wouldn't have as a much younger writer, but the the idea of wasted time, I think there is a lot of and and this is embedded in in American culture, too, but impatience just to exist, you know, in in the world as a writer. I went to graduate school for creative writing for my master's at 23. Uh, I'm 44. This is my first book. Uh, And I've been writing all the while, you know, and it's not to say that I wasn't I didn't share that impatience or feel like, you know, have years of doubt, -doubt. self-doubt. But I also think that you can write an essay or you can write a good essay. You can write a book or you can write a book you feel really proud of. And I think that takes time and that takes writing into corners that are dead ends. this is i think very much that this is part of the process and it's impossible to know what uh what will be useful for that piece or a future piece and or what is useful for your psyche just to barf it out um and or what will give you clarity on other areas of your life i just think especially for creative nonfiction there's no waste to me i agree i had a
2: feeling you would say that and i was hoping Hoping because it's there's always value to it. And like your other piece, you didn't know when you were going to use it. So who knows if the things that felt like too much to share now would feel different later and who knows what experience you've had. I'm also curious about, so we're speaking as the book is about to come out in paperback. So there's been this middle period where the book is out in the world, and yet now you're back to the experience of talking about it and having these kinds of conversations. And I'm wondering how your relationship to the book has changed over this period of time when others have seen it and talked about it.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And when I hadn't... Given much thought to. I've been really lucky in that I think I've had a pretty um sort of consistent opportunity to talk about to talk about the book. Uh I feel a lot of gratitude for how it's been received. And I think uh it was a little tricky when it published because it was in the middle of the pandemic. I think maybe we'll forever be in the middle of the pandemic is kind of how it feels. Uh And so, you know, I was doing, I did my whole tour, 30 plus, you know, events from a little nook in my bedroom while my kids were like banging on the door. So there was something a little anticlimactic about that. Um, But fortunately it turns out that um, readers were pretty eager to read while trapped at home uh, and lacking other kinds of entertainment. So, uh, you know, now that I have sort of a year plus to think about this passage, um, it's been nice that it still found its people. That's how how I'm feeling about it. So I think, uh, and that it's having a chance to get a rebirth into paperback, which is not the case for all books. So I feel really pleased by all that. I just, I have a lot of gratitude for sort of how it's moved through the world.
2: Did you change anything between the hardback and the paperback edition? I know some people who are
0: like, this sentence drives me crazy. I got to change yeah, it. No. Um, I had a copy editor went through and found a couple of errors where I was like, what? How did we miss those? Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't really change anything. Love it. I, I think I added a, um, a reader's guide. Mm. I think I added. Yeah. Some like book y questions.
2: So how is that how is writing this collection informed you as you're returning to fiction and working on fiction more solidly now? Has it shifted anything in any way?:
0: You know, I spent you know a significant amount of time working just on creative nonfiction despite years of working mostly on fiction before that, and it's this weird experience where I'm like, do I even remember how to write fiction? <laughs> even though you know, this is how I got my sea legs. Um, Suddenly fiction is seeming kind of intimidating, like, wait, what, anything can happen? I have, like, I can make anything happen at any moment, which is of course something I knew for decades. Um, But it's, you know, I'm sort of seeing it with new eyes in this funny way. But it's also full of its own kind of joys because I'm not, uh, you know, sort of restricted to, to real life. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the thing
2: it seems like there is this opposite tension between writing nonfiction from personal experience and writing fiction, which is and the one thing you have to narrow down what you want to talk about because there's an infinite amount of material and like which memories am I going to look at and which how am I going to weave these together yes. versus okay what it feels almost like can feel like this big blank area and there may be lots of ideas but there's this sense of Unknown about what's going to come next? And is there going to
0: be something on the next page when I sit down? And it reminds me a little of the earlier comment, a la wasted time. I mean, fiction to me is so much about exploration uh, and writing in this direction and that direction um, and around in a circle and sort of figuring out where the heartbeat of of your project is or your story. Uh, And that takes a lot of words that don't ever make it into print
2: yeah and I always feel like those they're they're still in there even if they're not like the knowledge of having spent that time with the characters oh yeah it's sure. still informing la, and adding no, layers yeah a la no wasted time exactly we should get a sticker or yeah, like a yeah. t-shirt no more waste no waste of time wasted time does not exist yeah so, at what point, what stage are you at with fiction? Are you working on short pieces or something longer?
0: I'm not sure. Ooh, I'm really not sure. Uh, I have uh, a couple of things started, and I'm just not sure which one uh, will have the momentum. I like to work on lots of things at once.
2: <laughs> and then circling through and just seeing what's yeah. Happening. and
0: I you know, I should also say this has been a pretty busy year for motherhood and I have a full-time job uh, and my tenure application was just submitted and that took a lot of time. Uh, so my, my bandwidth for, you know, creative endeavors has been diminished. Um, but when I do have opportunities and this week has been one of those weeks where I have my children are at camp, um, God bless camp, <laughs> I, you know, I'm like looking through all of the documents I have that I've started. And it's like, hmm, which one am I going to touch today? And I think that's finding the delight in the writing is feels really important to me because other sectors of my life are lacking that. <laughs> so I think I'm trying to chase the joy, which isn't to say I'm writing, you know, happy go lucky stories, not at all, actually, but um, but I want the experience to feel like playful and intellectually satisfying and ultimately joyful. Yeah, I think the process can be joyful even if the content is not. yeah. I mean, the books I love to read are not about joyful subjects, but they're so delightfully constructed.
2: Yeah, it can all come in a language and just the, yeah, the nature of how it's expressed can be truly satisfying. So you and I are almost... I, and I, I thought so from this sort of time cues and so on, the exact same age. Um, but you, based on the astrology reference being a cancer, and then I'm in August. So it was funny about the, I was like, God, we're really close on the timeline there. But when you mentioned 1991, I was like, oh yes, I am. I am with you. Mm-hmm. So going from completing a degree and then getting your first book out at 44, I'm just wondering how that, how that time has felt and and what encouragement or thoughts you can provide to anyone else who just feels like it's taking a long time to get where they want to go.
0: I have so many thoughts in this. <laughs> uh, you know, in the same way we talked about my writing an essay in response to that, you know, unfortunate in-class experience without having aims for it, just needing to sort out my own feelings about it. This is always the role writing has played for me. Uh, and I went to graduate school, uh, by the way, the book came out when I was 43, just to knock one year. Got
2: it. Got it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I went <laughs> the hard to back, school. the hard back. You've got your first
0: paperback at 44. Truth. Um, I went to graduate school for fiction because I started as a journalist and my, my writing was just getting more and more creative. And I was not interested in, in the boring sentences, uh, and realized I was just working with words, but in the wrong space. Uh, and I went thinking, in fact, I, if, if you want to like really think about how my thoughts on this have changed, I picked. Johns Hopkins, because it was a one year program and I wanted to write my novel in the shortest amount of time. <laughs> so that's why I went there. Um, and for anyone who. Not has, because you love Baltimore, which is where I grew up. I really, so I can speak I really do you. love Baltimore. <laughs> I never lived there. Um, but I will say also that for anyone considering a graduate degree, I can't stress strongly enough how much you should go only if you're funded. Because yep. these degrees do not have. Tangible um, value towards future employment or provide any guarantees about your authorial success. Um, It was a wonderful experience. And as I even write about, kind of dismantled what I thought I knew how to do uh, or showed me what I secretly knew, which is that I didn't really know how to do very much uh, as a fiction writer. Uh, And then because it was an MA, a one-year-long degree. I was permitted to get an MFA, which is the terminal degree in creative writing. So I, at that point, followed the program that gave me the most funding. It was the University of Arizona. Um, I think also for anyone considering a graduate degree in creative writing, if you're able to be flexible about where you go, uh, it can really open your eyes. I loved Tucson. I'd never lived in the desert. It was uh, incredibly informative. I met Amazing people, including a good friend who lives in Berlin now. Mm. Uh, And, you know, even in that degree program, I was already like, you know, talking to agents, like, so eager to be in the world, to like have the lives that these professors had, that the authors who came through to speak had. But my, I didn't have a project. You know, it seems so obvious to me in retrospect that like the impulse to be in the world needs to be aligned with having work that's ready to be in the world. Uh, and they were not aligned for me. I just, you know, wanted so badly to make a life doing this thing and thought that was the way there. Um, and I don't, you know, begrudge anyone who feels that way. Cause I get it. That was me forever. Uh, I spent the next decade post degree um, working, 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 publishing in literary journals, mostly fiction, uh, adjunct teaching, a lot of adjunct teaching. One year I was teaching in four different states in one semester, uh, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and would wake up each morning like, oh my God, where am I going today? Like. Just, I I also love to teach, it turns out, which I discovered through the MFA, so dedicated myself to that hardcore. Uh, And then got teaching gigs here and there, uh, and was just sort of chipping away at it all the while. Uh, I don't think, I think the impatience was cured with time in some way because I was getting better as a writer and I was learning myself um, in a way that I think I was too impatient to do early on, but it's like anything, the more you do it, the stronger you get, the more you learn your strengths and your weaknesses and how you move on a page, which isn't to say by the way, that I think I'm great. I just know what I can do. You know, like I I figured out how I move, which made it easier to do it. If that makes sense. It does. And then I should share this story because I think it just says so much about persistence. Um, there was, I think I read about it in like Poets and Writers, an ad for the Sunday Times Short Story Award, which is uh, an international prize valued at uh, 42,000 American dollars. And previous winners had been uh, Juno Diaz and Adam Johnson. Uh, and Yayun Lee. and I was like, "Oh, I'll enter that contest." Like, who has that kind of hubris? I don't know. It didn't cost anything to enter. I like z- printed out my story in my you know bedroom and popped it in the mail. Um, unbeknownst to me, this is usually a prize that like agents had entered on behalf of their clients who didn't even know they were being entered into it. Uh, this is in 2018. That year, finalists included Miranda July and Curtis Sittenfeld, and we all. We're sitting at the same table in this gorgeous, you know, Hogwarts-style hall in London, uh, and I fucking won. And yes, you did. What? Nobody had ever heard of me. They called me a dark horse in the media. You know, this was like, I'm still the only writer who, who didn't have a published book to have ever won, was second ever woman. I say this all, again, not because... I think I'm something special, but because like, I just kept pushing. It was like I it was really important to me to keep doing this thing, even though I hadn't received that much, you know, that many reassurances from the universe. So I just feel like, you know, it's a good reminder that you have to advocate for yourself and that um, there is a payoff for the long haul investment in this thing you care about, in the art you want to make. Absolutely. I mean, I wonder, I mean, we can't know this,
2: but if we were, you know, if you've seen everything everywhere all at once, the film that's out um, with the parallel lives, it's like, I, I wonder, it yet, yeah. it's, it's worth it. I highly recommend it. Okay. But if we, it, it has, you can see there's a way to access all these different versions of yourself who made different choices at different points. And, I just wonder if there's a version of Courtney who did get published in her twenties and what Mm -hmm. the ramifications and how your life might've been different. And I wonder if you have any thoughts about how, how it would be now if that had happened instead. I'm bad
0: at these hypothetical. (laughs) I will just say I have so much gratitude for for being here, which I definitely would not have had 20 years prior, in part because of, of the duration of the journey um, and because of all the hard work invested. Uh, and I Carmen Maria Machado has this wonderful um, essay that I think recently appeared on a blog of hers. But it has you know, she, she brings up this idea that, you know, you only debut once. And like, and how many books she encounters where she's like, gosh, I wish this writer would have, you know, spent more time with these pieces or, you know, didn't rush it out into the world. And I think there's a lot to be said for giving the work the care it deserves. Uh, And I, you know, now having shed that, like initial impatience was able to do that. So, yeah, I think... I just, I feel more grateful.
2: Yeah. And I think that there is, I think there's a sense of perspective from all of that. That is, I think you can get shaken out of it in your twenties early on. It's so fragile, that sense of I'm doing the right thing or I'm going in a direction that's meaningful. It's so easy to get bounced out of it. And so to be at this point now and to look at it and have something that you're proud of to offer and then be able to work from that place feels, it just feels so much more grounded.
0: Yes. And to know that you don't have regrets about the work. How did it
2: impact your relationship with the people that were in, in the book? Had they read the essays before they came out? I'm, I'm always curious about this with,
0: with memoir. Uh, yes, they had. Yeah. Um, and I received you know, I sought and then received a lot of advice from memoirs memoirists who'd come before me about how they navigated this. Um, and some great advice I received from the author T. Kira Madden, uh, whose memoir, Long Live the Tribe of Fatherless Girls, I recommend, uh, uh, suggested that you share it with somebody who you think, um, you know, is important to uh, have a conversation with in advance uh, but not through the lens of um or not, sorry not framed as are you okay with this but more like i wrote this and i'd like you to see it mm-hmm. so that's sort of how i moved but you know to harken back to an earlier part of this conversation i tried really hard to you know, show lots of angles of all the characters, um, and I call them characters because I think it's very hard to render a person in all of their degrees, in the, in nonfiction or fiction. Uh, but I tried really hard to make sure that they, you, a reader would appreciate multiple sides of not only a situation but of a person's behavior of a person's traits my own included um so that made me you know when I reached that point I felt okay sharing it
2: yeah I think that makes sense because it's you know it is so hard not to want someone to be okay with it when you've shared something and you're proud of what you've written but at the same time when you're sharing things that are difficult about relationships it's 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 not always going to happen and yes Having having had people in writing groups that I've facilitated, I think I'm asking this from a place of some people write stories like this from a place of cultures that are not going to be tolerant of the story that they're telling. They're going against not just maybe the relationship, but an overall cultural narrative and approaches. And I'm just wondering if you have any insight about, you know, how how can How can someone navigate that split between this story feels very, very important and also very, very risky for me
0: to tell? Mm. That's a great and important question. It's Uh, not an easy one, but not, but, um, you know, I guess teasing out what the risks are is one way to do it. So it doesn't feel so nebulous, like what, what, do, what is the fear? Like, what is going to happen, um, is one way to think about it. Uh, and if there are conversations they can have in advance that may diminish that, you know, um, I think that's useful. I will also say that, um, you know, certainly my, my book didn't put push against too many cultural grains, though I, I do have qualms with Judaism, which I, I raise, uh, I, I was told, and this has proven true, that people don't have linear reactions to their own depiction um, in the work or to their feelings about the work if they're some way, in some way intimately connected to it. Someone may feel totally fine at the beginning and then later less fine, or really grouchy about it and then fine. Like it just seems nonlinear and therefore really unpredictable. I do think some of the fear. That, that a writer may have may not be realized and other things they didn't anticipate would be uh, an issue could arise. So it's just, it's a very unpredictable terrain I found.
2: Yeah, I think there is, that's a really good point is that, you know, even if someone is upset that doesn't mean they're always gonna be upset or that they won't understand at some point or they may not, we just don't know. But I think the value of the story being out there
0: can be immense, and also I think to check yourself on your own intentions to make sure this is not like a revenge piece or you know sort of like what why are you doing this what are the aims uh, if you're doing it just to malign a person um, I'm not sure that how satisfying that will ultimately <laughs> feel. Uh, I think chasing complication and nuance and looking at larger ways in which this may resonate with readers in other situations is, is a good way um, to ensure your writing is sufficiently complicated.
2: Yeah, because the, the, in, in some sense, I think you handled this particularly well with the one person. I agree with you that everybody in the book comes off as nuanced, but the one person I just could not empathize with was the doctor. I just could not oh, empathize. Yeah. Oh, he's a demon. Yeah. So I'm just, I, it's interesting because I felt that that was fairly like neutrally done. And
0: yet I wanted to punch him in the face, even yeah. though I I had an OBGYN who's now in federal prison for sexually assaulting over a hundred women who were in his care. And he did not assault me, but he was always very weird because of course he was, because he's a sexual predator who went into this field so that he'd have access to women's private parts. Uh, and just the discovery of his, just the depth of his crimes, the extent of his crimes, it is so revolting. It is so revolting to me, uh, you know, objectively revolting. So yeah,
2: I mean, I gasped out loud, so loud when I was reading the book, my husband was like, what are you reading? I'm like, it's so good, but wow, man. Wow. Um and just to I think but it was clearly not about, I mean, his name is not mentioned, but just the sense of informing people about a type of experience showing that this does happen, that but also it wasn't about like look at this terrible villain, we're gonna take a bunch of pitch pitchforks and go after him. I just felt it was very
0: sensitively done. Um it's not his story, it's my story. Right. Uh, and it's b- very much about what it means to be a woman moving in various spaces and having to be vulnerable, whether standing up in front of a classroom with a bunch of, you know, misogynistic, <laughs> I don't want to say a bunch, with a misogynistic student uh, or having to disrobe for a sexual predator. You know, I just feel like women are. are unfortunately um in these vulnerable spaces a lot, and I think that's it's the essay is sort of exploring these i want to say near misses in some way, because it's like I was you know sort of in these spaces with these men with bad intentions uh, and I am fortunately fine and nothing severe transpired and also this is just womanhood yes and
2: that we don't have I think the other thing that felt so important about me it to me was the point that you make that's like the the tension of wanting to stand up for things not being okay and not supporting this cultural narrative of like when a child gets chased and a boy wants to kiss her the the whole tension of that and I thought it was great the way that you said, okay, well, she's telling you that she doesn't like that. And this, this way that we miss that part of the narrative and that something like a book like this can start to point to the fact that that part of the story isn't getting told and that these are the consequences. We can see the
0: consequences everywhere. And how can we begin to change that? I think being the mother of two boys um, throws that into strong relief for me because I'm hyper-attuned to whatever messaging they're receiving, whether you know through conversations with others, through books, through films, through school, whatever, uh, all of that exposure and how it metabolizes into what they say and how they behave. Uh, so yes, I think like so many qualities, including say racism, there are ways in which like the seeds get planted so early and the vigilance that you can try to have as a parent to intervene, um, just feels really important.
2: And I, yeah, I think not only just being a parent and being an intelligent parent, but also writing about the experience of being a parent so that there was, there was so much intelligence in what you said, but also the sense of like, sometimes you just don't know if you're doing it right. Oh, I never
0: know. And I, I think Anyone who claims, do I have big suspicions about? Yeah, there's. I mean, as I was saying before, complicated people who get into relationships. I mean, it's just, it's it's hard. It's always hard, but you try your best.
2: You do, and then hopefully, by sharing the stories of trying, other people can learn and either be inspired to tell their stories or just to look at life a little bit differently. I'm
1: nodding,
2: right? I know for the camera. She's nodding for the, for the, for the recording. (laughs) It's been such a joy and a delight to speak to you about this collection. I can't recommend it highly enough. There's, there's a lot about life, but there's also a lot about writing in it too. So I I recommend that, that anyone read this. I devoured it practically in one sitting. So um, thank you so
0: much for the chat. It's really nice to get to know you. You too. Thank you for coming on.
1: Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad fitness to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads.